Well, I'm a firm believer that we have what I would call a lot of white noise types of things in our lives. And white noise is that stuff that uh, it's become so common, so maybe uh, part of the routine that you don't even notice it anymore. Like anybody have a DIY project that's about 90% done? Uh, that's been that way for about seven years. You know, that trim on that last kind of run of the house still hasn't gotten there. We've got about, uh, about 17 rooms in our house. Actually, our house isn't that big, but uh, you get the idea. Um, you ever find yourself leaving work and then find yourself at home and completely zoned out how you got there? Like, you don't actually remember walking, driving, riding the bus, how, how you, just, you just, I left work, now I'm here home. Um, anybody in here kind of hang up the phone with people, uh, say, like, Kayla, you buy, like, or something along those lines? lines. And then have you ever done that with somebody who like you work with or your boss? It's like, okay, cool. Yeah. Thanks for that. Okay. Love you. Bye. And then it's like, oh, wait. I mean, and then it's like super awkward because it's like, you don't really know what to say. You don't want to take it back because you don't want to seem insensitive. But at the same time too, you might not love them like that at, at that degree. You ever been there before? There's a lot of this white noise stuff I think we have in, uh, in our lives. And, and when it comes to our topic for today, today we're talking about love, by the way, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I think love can be a little bit like white noise for us because it can mean a bunch of different things. You can talk about love in the context of, of a hobby. You love a hobby. You can talk about love in the context of a sports team and how you endure with them no matter how many games they lose with like a minute left in the time clock, okay, you still, you stand by their side, ILL, you know what I mean? You love them despite their flaws. We talk about love in, in a sexual sense. We talk about love in a friendship sense. Sometimes, some of you, not me, but some of you, you use love when somebody gives you a bad gift, and you say, oh, I love it, and then you like slide it aside, like, I hope I never see this again. Love has become such a broad term for us that when we talk about it from the Bible, when we talk about that God is love, God loves you. Because God loves you, here's what he's done from, for you. Some of you might struggle. You might struggle because somebody who loved you left you. Some of you might struggle with, with a God who is loving because you have a hard time defining, molding, shaping what love actually is. Some of you love is difficult because those who you thought you loved treated you poorly, or maybe it's the reverse. People you loved, you treated poorly, and so they left because they needed to get out of their relationship. Love is difficult, and is it white noise for us or not? And that's what we're going to kind of tackle for us today. So if you have your Bible, you can be begin turning with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm going to set it up, though, with the verse prior. But, but while you're turning there, hopefully you have a Bible every week. Bring your Bible. encourage you to take notes. Follow along with us. Uh, we've been in this series, 1 Corinthians, talking about developing a Christ-centered worldview. And perhaps there's no greater text for us to find that, that rooting point. That, that, that cornerstone, that spot where it all comes together, your beliefs, your actions, your context, how they all come together. Because chapters 12, 13, and 14 are all about spiritual gifts, the purpose of the church, the mission of the church, to glorify, to edify the name of Jesus. And in the middle is this chapter on love. Chapter 12 is about spiritual gifts. Chapter 14, we're going to touch about some specific things uh, in, in a couple weeks. And, and, and sometimes I think we hear chapter 13 at weddings and we just think, oh, that must just be kind of off on its own. And it's not like the Apostle Paul said, oh, wait, hold on, shoot. Hold on one second. We'll get back to that. I forgot. I forgot about, I, and you tell you about this love stuff real quick. But then I'll get back into the important things about, no, no. He's intentionally saying 
that how the church acts, how the church is supposed to be, how disciples are to be known, isn't just how they glorify God inside the church, but also there is a distinct marker with them. This is what he says at the end of chapter 12, setting up for chapter 13. He says this, he says, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. Gifts are given by God, for God, to glorify God. And he says, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. Most excellent way. So the Apostle Paul is pretending to be Wayne's world. Oh, most excellent, brah. Let me show you, okay? Let me show you the most excellent way to be a disciple. Let me show you the most excellent way to be the church. Let me show you the most excellent way to be people who glorify God. You see, this word excellent means to, to stand out. It says, let me teach you, church, dear Corinthians, let me teach you, dear disciples in the 21st century, let me teach you how to stand out, hyperbole. Let me teach you so that others will take notice. Like if I were to ask you, just like, hey, what did you eat last Wednesday for lunch? Maybe you would remember, maybe you wouldn't. But if I said, tell me about the most excellent meal you've ever had, chances are you could give me the details. Where you went, who you were with, what it tasted like down to every last piece. If I said, tell me about the most excellent experience you've ever been on. Tell me about the most excellent vacation. When, when, when people excel in, in sports or in school or, or in the workplace, we recognize the excellence because that excellence has stood out. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, at the end of the day, what people remember most is what is most excellent. And this is very true of Christians and the church, is it not? When you think about people outside of the walls or outside of the family of God, what do they tend to think and remember about Christians in the church? On one hand, hopefully the most excellent things about us, the expressions of our love, and they also tend to remember the exact opposite when we act in very unloving ways. So they remember the hateful things. They remember the spiteful things. They remember the, 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 the hurtful things, the abusive things. But then at the same time, too, they also remember when the church exemplifies love because it stands out. So Paul says this. He says, if you want to stand out in life, if you want to stand out in your marriage, if you want to stand out in the workplace, if you want to stand out as a member of the family of God, you must learn to love. So this is what he says, starting in chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Here's our kind of our key text. We're going to read the first seven verses. We'll cover the second half next week. But starting in verse 1, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men, if I speak languages I don't even know or recognize or realize, or in the angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging symbol. Now, it was at this point in the verse, I wanted to run back and smack the symbols, but Jordan told me I couldn't. I'm just kidding, I didn't even ask, but I figured that was a no-no, okay? So, but you get the idea. He says, if I have the gift of prophecy... I can fathom all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and I have a faith that can move mountains, but I have not love. I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, he says, and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I have not love, I gain nothing. So here Paul says, all right, let me tell you about how to stand out and why, why love is key. 
And he gives these four kind of like supernatural expressions of the spiritual gifts. These aren't basic expressions. These are like crazy out there ones. He's like, if you got a bro who all of a sudden doesn't speak Russian, but is speaking Russian so that he can witness to somebody and you're there witnessing it, you're going to be like, bro, I didn't know you speak Russian. I don't know. It just came out. Now he loves Jesus. What? You'd be blown like, bro, you must walk tight. You and Jesus must be bros. You must be tight. If you're watching a gal and she's like, do you like where that mountain is? Nah, it's kind of always been in the way of my view. Cool, I'm just going to move that. And she like does like a Yoda. She's like, in faith, move the mountains. And the whole thing gets up and moves to another spot. You would be like, I don't know what you and Jesus are doing, but there's clearly something special going on. And he says, doesn't matter how big, how powerful, how special your, your, your experiences of faith are. If you don't love, you get nothing. Nobody's going to remember that. It doesn't make a difference. It doesn't stand out like love does. And some of you, you might need to hear this. Because the last couple of weeks when we were talking about spiritual gifts, you might be saying, I don't really know what my gifts are. I don't know if they're, they're big or they're fancy or they would wow a lot of people. They might not be a very big outward anointing and expression of those. And Apostle Paul would say, that's okay. A, that's how God made you, but B, you've got love. And love is most excellent. Love stands out. You can make a difference in your family. You can make a difference in your community. You can make a difference in this church because of God's love. Simply put, I think Paul's just trying to make this point abundantly clear that God's love stands out. It doesn't matter how many mountains you move. If you don't have love, you gain nothing. It doesn't matter how many foreign languages you can spout out off the tip of your tongue. If you don't have love, it's an annoying, stupid noise. He says, but if you have love, you've gained everything that you need. It doesn't matter how fancy the gifts are. It doesn't matter how many Bible verses you, you know. It doesn't matter how many groups you've gone to, how many times you've served. If you aren't loving, it's not going to make a difference. To me, uh, it kind of reminds me of coffee. And here's what I mean by that. Is there's about like 17,000 different ways to make coffee, okay? I'm like a standard, regular drip coffee type of guy. Anybody, just give me the basic stuff, black, okay? All right, welcome to the team. Everybody else can catch up later. And then there's like all these other ways. You know, you can make cold brew. I like cold brew. Cold brew's fine. Uh, just takes like two days, but hey, it's all right. French press, uh, Keurig, Nespresso. I mean, there's all these different. There's like this thing called Chemex, which is like literally you have to get a, uh, like, a, like a chemistry degree from the U of I in order to make it. You get out a scale and you balance it. It takes like 17 years to figure out the right formula. And then you make this coffee and it tastes just the same as like everything else. But hey, supposedly it's better. We are in pumpkin uh, spice season, okay? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because that's a lot of prayer that would need to happen for those hands going up. But think about like pumpkin spice, for example. I was at Aldi the other day and I counted 19 different items that were pumpkin spice flavored. Like it's just getting crazy. We need to intervene for our world. We need to take a stand. We shall not let this happen, okay? But it's interesting because I'll see people who like walk through the parking lot and they're all timid. Cars are like coming at them like five miles an hour. Like, no, no, car, go, go for it. And then they come out of Starbucks with that pumpkin spice latte. It's like a force field around them. Nope, car, you stop. Coffee, okay? There's like a whole, the people driving down the road like 60 miles an hour and they just walk across because they got a cup of coffee. It's like a force field around you. Here's my point. 
It doesn't matter how you like your coffee. It doesn't matter how fancy and all the tools and all the gadgets you have. You still need the coffee bean. You still need the key ingredient. You still need to grind it and water needs to seep it through in order for it to do its job. Because if all you do is have all these fancy contraptions, but you don't actually have any coffee beans, all you've done is had a bunch of wasteless stuff on your countertop. You've wasted a bunch of space where you could be having seven different KitchenAid mixers instead. I don't know, whatever you want to put up there. And the same thing goes with love. The Apostle Paul is saying, it doesn't matter what your gifts look like. It doesn't matter how you like it. It doesn't matter what you exemplify. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Because if you don't have the key ingredient, you got nothing. It doesn't matter how slowly you press the French coffee, not the people, okay? It doesn't matter. If you don't have coffee, it's, it's nothing. It doesn't matter how good your gifts are, how outward your gifts are. It doesn't matter how many things you do if you don't have love. If you don't have it, all you've got is something that's annoying. People are going to tune it out. They're not going to listen because it's love that stands out. He says in, in verse, starting uh, verse 4, picking back up, says, you want to know what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. No more. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Love always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. For centuries, people have been writing songs and poems. For, for decades, we've been making TV shows and movies about love, trying to say, this is where love is, this is where it comes from. Let me try to just get my, my, my thoughts, my feelings, my heart onto paper or onto a screen and somehow express this. And so uh, we're going to have a little quiz this morning. Uh, crowd participation is strongly encouraged. It's called the Love Song Quiz. And I'm going to give you the title of a song that has the word love in it, and you just need to shout out who the, uh, who the artist is, the band, the artist, or whatever. Okay, you guys ready to play? All right, here's the first one, and this one is one of those, all of these songs are songs that like, like if you heard it, you'd be like, I know that song, but you might not know the artist, but here's the first one, made famous by Jimmy Fallon, Will Ferrell in uh, SNL sketch, uh, Night at the Roxbury, but the song is What is Love? Anybody know the artist? Hadaway, okay, for like two of you, gold stars in heaven, Jesus loves you there. But you guys know the song, what is the... It's all stuck in the rest of your head for the rest of the day. You're welcome. That is my gift to you. Uh, this one, I will always love you. Whitney Houston, big booming voice. What? And Dolly Parton? Whitney Houston, people, we're going to... Let's pray about it, Lord. What's that, Whitney Houston? Okay, cool. Whitney Houston. All right. Sorry, people. Oh, Dolly Parton. <laughs> this one, you would definitely recognize the tune. You might not know the, the band, but it's Friday, I'm in Love. Cure. The Cure, yes. Whoever, Channing, you're my dog. Dog. 
Uh, this one was big when I was in high school. Uh, it's called, the song is called, I Believe in a Thing Called Love. Anybody? Yes! Oh my gosh. Guys, we're all best friends now. Just saying. And then this one, uh, if you're more into like R&B, hip-hop, uh, Crazy in Love, Queen B and J. Come on, people. Gosh. We need to just not have sermons for like a year and just play good music for you guys. Okay. Here's the thing. Decades, years, centuries, people are like, what is love? What is love? Here's what it is. This is what it looks like. Here's where you find it. Here's, here's what you give up. You know, you, you think of some of the most powerful movies, like Goodwill Hunting. Here's a movie. Here's a, here's a dude who has a gift beyond anything that anybody has this memory, and he leaves it all behind to pursue a girl. Right? You remember the end of the scene, Goodwill Hunting? Sorry, Sean. Got to go see about a girl. What is love? And, and, and Paul begins to describe it to us. And it's interesting because my, my, my question, and maybe it's your wrestling point, maybe you're, you're new to church or maybe you're, you're, you're trying to figure out Christianity or, or maybe you, you're in this mode of maybe trying to figure out like, like what, is, what does faith actually mean? Because my question when it comes to love and it comes to Christians, it comes to church, is, is, is how is it and why is it that, that sometimes as Christians, as people who have been saved by the love of God, redeemed by Jesus Christ, Born again, new creations, new wine into new wineskins are sometimes some of the most unloving people around. And I'm not saying that's you, but maybe there's somebody in your life who you've had that thought about. Or maybe there's somebody who's close to you that you care deeply about. You want them to love Jesus, and that's their, their thing they put out there is they just kind of say, yeah, but man, Christians are just so unloving. Because it stands out when it's there, and it stands out when, when it's not. And what we need to remember is, is, is love is a gift. Love is God. Love is from God. But just because he's given it to us, it doesn't mean we've received it. And just because we've received it doesn't mean we've learned how to give it away. And to stand out, to be like a human highlighter to the rest of the crowd. This is why I'm different. This is why you want to hopefully be like me. This is why I treat my spouse, my kids, my coworkers, my neighbors completely different. It's because of God's love. The word love appears over 300 times in Scripture. 17 times in chapter 13 alone. In the Old Testament, it's the Hebrew word hesed. So we'll show you here. Uh, in the Old Testament, it's the Hebrew word hesed. It's a steadfast love. But the New Testament uses this Greek term, agape. You might have heard this term before. And there's an interesting thing about this term, agape, is in the ancient Greco-Roman culture, this word meant a sacrificial charity. And so if you are, grew up on the King James Version of Scripture, you might recognize 1 Corinthians doesn't use the word love. It uses the word charity instead. And so it's a sacrificial charity, a sacrificial act of benefiting others. And if you do history, so you'll find out that, that in the New Testament era, the Greco-Roman people had four terms for love, and they used the other three a lot. There's the term eros, which means an erotic love, a sexual urge or desire. There's storge, which is a familial love, and a love out of obligation. And there was phileo, which is a love that means I kind of like it, but there's no commitment to it. Does that sound pretty familiar? 
We like talking about love in an erotic sense. We like talking about love out of obligation because of people. And we like talking about liking things but not having been committed. And so there's this fourth term, agape, love, floating out there. And they were like, why does nobody like this term? And the answer was, is because we don't, like, we don't want to give anything up. What do you mean you don't want to give anything up? Well, well, love means I get, I receive. I don't give anything away. And the Christians had an epiphany. And they said, hold up. That, 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 that word agape is the best representation of who God is, of what God has done. A sacrificial gift, an offering that does not leave. And so they kind of took that word and they, they kind of made it their own so that when you heard the word agape, your mind would instantly go, God. When people talked about the church, they would think agape. When they would see Christians living in community, they would think sacrifice. The rest of the world didn't want anything of it. We don't want a selfless love, we want a selfish love. I want a love that feeds me, my heart, my desires, my dreams. And the people of faith came along and said, there is a better way. There's a love that stands out. So Paul gives us 14 attributes here in chapter 13. Five sentences, and so um, I've come up with five points that hopefully define what is God's love, what is agape love, what does it look like, what does it do? And what I want you to do is if you're a note taker, write these down. If you're somebody who doesn't take notes, maybe take pictures of these as they come up. And I want you to think, you can even just pray right now, ask the Spirit to reveal maybe just one of these five. Maybe one of these five things is something you need to begin implementing in your own life, maybe in your marriage, maybe in your home, maybe somewhere in your life, there is an act of sacrificial love that you need to begin fleshing out. So here's the first one, is that agape love must first transform us. Paul says love is patient, love is kind. I don't know about you, but those are two traits I don't naturally have. I had to learn them. I had to, uh, somebody had to teach them to me. It's not something that my kids are born with. They're not born with patience. They're born with impatience. They're not born with, with, with kindness. They're born with being little jerks to each other. Like, that's just the way it is. So you have to teach it. It must transform you to what it is. And so I begin thinking, like, God, of all the words, of all the terms, of all the definitions, of all of the things, you could start out, here's what love is. You want to know what stands out? Love is patient. Love is kind. And I was like, that just sounds so, you couldn't have picked something bigger, something more spiritual, something much more awe-inspiring. And it was like, God like grabbed my face like a toddler. And it was like, Eric, do you realize how much love it takes to be kind to somebody who does things that hurt you? Do you realize how much patience I have for you. Eric, you're dumb. You, you have the same I'm sorry's. You struggle with the same stuff and you say you're going to change and sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. You make all these commitments and you don't always follow through. Do you realize that if I wasn't patient, you couldn't experience my See, patience and kindness reveals that something has changed within you. And I'm not talking about like Midwest standoff patience and kindness. You guys know what a Midwest standoff is? You come to a stop sign, two people in two cars, and 
Go, 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 go. No, you, 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 you. Go, 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 go. No, you, you, you. And then you both inch forward at the same time and then stop. No, no, go, 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 go. No, no, you, you, you. Go, go, go. And then someone has to be the jerk and go first, right? Welcome to the Midwest, okay? That's not the patience and kindness we're talking about here. We're talking about you're doing the same selfish, stupid, dumb things, and God has said, and I know about it, and I see all of it, and guess what? I still love you. I'm still here with you. I still desire to walk alongside of you. Yep, that hurts things. That hurts other people's. Let's change that, okay? Okay, yeah, yeah, but I love you. See, patience and kindness reveal there's a heart that has been changed. Here's the second thing of what agape love is. Agape love changes then how I view myself. Love doesn't boast. It is not envy. It is not proud. All of those are attributes of when we grasp for things that we do not have. I envy someone's house because it's, it's bigger than mine. I boast in front of people because I don't think I have their approval. I'm proud because I don't feel good about myself. And whenever, I don't know about you, but for me, whenever I am envious or whenever I boast or whenever I, I express pride, it's either I'm trying to tear someone down to build myself up or I tear myself up because of what they have built. And Paul says, agape love ain't like that. Agape love ain't based on your square footage. It ain't based on your 401k. Agape love isn't based on on, on what you have done. It's based on the, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He rose from the grave. It has built up everything that you need. You don't have to find your identity in what you have or don't have. Agape love says you're not what you don't have and you are not what you do have. Agape love says you are who Jesus has said you are. By his sacrifice, holy, perfect, blameless, eternal, you have been built into an eternal pillar in the kingdom of God. Agape love changes how I view myself. And some of you, you need to hear that for the first time. That God loves you how he sees Jesus. Not your past, not your mistakes, not your sins. And he says, come, come into my family. You are loved by that type of God. Number three, agape love puts others first. If there was any verse that I could get rid of in the Bible, it would be chapter 13, verse 5. Love, it is not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no records of wrong. Those are all things I do really, really, really well. Like, in the not, not sense. Like, I can get angry really quick. I'm really good at keeping a list of wrongs. You ever have one of those, uh, yeah, but, what about lists ready? Like you and your spouse or a friend, you're talking, and like, I just, this is going to be a hard conversation. I just want to tell you about something. Da, da, da. And then as soon as, okay, are you done? Yeah, what about? And you, and you got this big old list, and you got 17,000 bullet points on it. Yeah, I've been keeping track. I've been writing them down for this very moment to turn the tables on you. And Paul's like, that ain't love, bro. That, that ain't it. You're keeping a, a, a list of wrongs for the wrong reason. You're not doing it to edify them. You're doing it to feel good, to get yourself out of a bind there. Agape love has changed our hearts. It also changes our view of others. It puts them first. 
And because you have been fully known and loved by God, it gives you a head start. I'm a mess, but God loves me. God is patient, he is kind. My sin doesn't surprise him. He doesn't keep a list. So why do I think I get to? And some of us then have the audacity, yeah, but Eric, come here. Eric, come here. Yeah, what up? What if they don't deserve it? Yeah, like, like when Jesus died for you on the cross, didn't, didn't deserve it, right? Romans chapter 13 Verse 8, it says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Now just quick, a pastoral aside, this does not mean, this does not mean you stay in an abusive relationship. This does not mean you overlook a spouse or a friend or somebody who has continually drug you through the mud. It doesn't mean you just put up with it, forget and move on and say, may, may I have another. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs in the sense of, of, of salvation because that's not ours to determine. But it also doesn't mean it's void of consequences. It also says love isn't easily angered. It's patient, it's kind, it, it protects. It does not delight in evil. So agape love, it strives to put others first. Forgiveness is always necessary. It doesn't mean keeping things the same. But it means saying, hey, Jesus put you before himself. There's a chance that we can do the same. Two more, I gotta go quick through these. Number four is that agape love has guardrails. Rejoices in truth, doesn't delight in evil. We think about love, and in some ways, it needs rules, it needs guardrails. The rules of the road, the guardrails that we have on our street, so to speak, it's kind of like how to be a loving driver, how to keep yourself and others safe. Like, I don't let my kids play in the street because I love them. I don't let my kids eat candy for breakfast, although they can have Reese's Puffs, which is basically the same thing, but because I love them. If there's a group of people who want to live on the edge of a cliff, you don't say, yep, jump over, see what happens. No, no, you build a wall. You have all this other freedom, all this other spot to roam. You build a wall because why? You, you love them. And this is one of the hardest parts for us as Christians to emulate. This is one of the hardest things for us as a church to find a healthy balance, and it's very difficult sometimes for people outside the church to resolute. Because love doesn't mean necessarily affirmation. It doesn't necessarily mean absolute freedom. It doesn't turn blind eyes. It doesn't ignore truth. It doesn't adapt to peer pressure. But it also means there's still patience. There's kindness. Guardrails say there is a way, there is a path. They hopefully serve to bring people back. And I think sometimes as Christians, we think our job that is loving is to act as a sign that just says, danger below, your choice. But the best guardrail is to offer yourself in relationship, to offer yourself in love, to offer yourself in understanding when people might not agree with you. Not to say, your funeral, not mine, deal with it. Love has guardrails that serve to redirect and not just shout out danger. Here's my third point, last point for us this morning, is number five, is that agape love works, always. Always protects, it always hopes, it always trusts, it always perseveres. 
Some of you know my story that my father passed away from cancer uh, when I was a young boy, so I kind of grew up without a father figure in the home. And so being a dad who didn't have just any father figure is kind of trying at times because I'm trying to figure out, like, okay, like, what does this look like? Like, yeah, I'm, I'm in the house, I'm around, but I need to do my job to raise my son, my daughter, to, to be loving, to love Jesus, to love the church, to, to, to love other people. And so I came up for my son, Jude, in particular. Uh, the Spirit has just given me this massive conviction for, for sons, for, for, for men. And uh, I have three rules for my son. And I've been saying these for probably a couple months now. Three simple rules. Number, rule number one is protect your sister. This is like the first rule, dude. You've got a younger sister. Your job is to protect her. You don't hurt her if she hurts you. Well, rule number two, be tough. If you can't take a punch, literally or metaphorically, in this life, good luck. You're going to have to learn to be tough, to grow up, to be a man who loves God and loves others. You're going to have to learn to be tough. And rule number three is don't be dumb. So if you do those three rules... Chances are I think he's going to be on a good track. And so if you're a guy in the room today, you're trying to figure out, how do I be a man of God? Protect, serve, endure, don't be dumb. I took these four terms. This is what I'll close with this morning. And I went to chat GPT. Some of you are like, oh boy, where is this going? Okay. Went to chat GPT. I was like, I'm just curious. What does the smartest computer in the entire universe think about this? And I said, and I literally, uh, uh, chat GPT, almost said Googled. It's not Googled. But I said, give me an example of something that protects, hopes, trusts, and perseveres. You ready for this? This is what chat GPT spat out. I kid you not. It said, a mother's love. A mother's love is an example of something that protects, trusts, hopes, and perseveres. A mother protects her children from harm, shielding them from danger and providing a safe environment. She trusts her child to make their own decisions and to learn from their experiences while also being their guiding life. There's a second part. She hopes for their success, their happiness, and well-being, always holding on to the belief that they can achieve great things despite the challenges and the obstacles that might come their way, a mother perseveres, always standing by her child's side, supporting them through thick and thin. Venture to guess if you took out the word a mother and you put in Jesus. It's a pretty good example of his, of his love. Some people say one of the best things to do is go to chapter 13, take out the word love and insert your name. Eric is patient, Eric is kind, Eric does not boast, Eric does not envy and on down. Knowing what love is is important. Putting it into practice is a whole different level. And so I'm going to close as we prepare for communion. Going back to this idea, is love white noise for us? Is it something that we just talk about? Is it something that we just say? Is it something that we, we just kind of affirm or not? Do we actually live in it, live with it? This is going to be some of the worst exegesis ever. But this is kind of what I think God showed me as we prepare for communion. The word always, love always protects, hopes, endures, perseveres, so on and so forth, is the word panto. 
and the, my mind just kept going back to the, the phrase, the word pant. Then led me to Psalm 42. As a deer pants for water, so my soul thirsts for water. And this is the thought that I want to leave you with this morning as we continue to worship through communion. Is does your soul thirst for the love of God? Does Eric's soul thirst for the love of Christ? Does your marriage thirst for sacrificial love? Do your relationships stand out in a God? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Not for a God so knew the world, so church the world, or so knowledge the world. saying you are love. Nothing you can do change that. I am pursuing you. I'm chasing after you because you are my child. I love you. I want you whole. For those of us who, who are wrestling with maybe love in our relationship, give us clarity. Give us wisdom. Give us guidance. Give us discernment. For anybody who needs to accept your love, the invitation to a new life, a new way of living, Jesus, I pray that they do not wait another moment to step into life, to worship you. We thank you for your love. May it not be white noise to us. May your love not just be something we sing about on Sundays. May it not just be a passing comment that we make when we leave the house or, or hang up the phone. May we embody love, the most excellent thing, the way to stand out. And we praise you, we thank you for loving us first. We offer this as an act of love, as an act of worship to you. In Jesus' name we pray.